Hi, and welcome to Second Rate Film School. I'm Andrew. I'm Jake. And I'm Jacob. And it's Christmas time still, I guess. And we're doing for its 30th anniversary, Home Alone. Yes. Yeah, it's the 30th anniversary. Hard to believe this came out, you know, yeah, 1990. Um, so you're all getting old if you remember this coming out. Um, but yeah, it's a Christmas classic. You know, you're older than any of us if you remember this coming out in theaters. True. Um, so we're still re reasonably young. Uh, but as we'll get into, this was the little film that could, and it hit hard when it came out. So um, yeah, it's quite the interesting movie as we'll get into. Yeah, well, it, for me, it was a little different because I actually watched the second movie first, not knowing it was a sequel. So and I think like two a, on the title, you, you thought, oh, Home Alone 2 as an also. See, I don't think I watched it from the beginning. I probably caught it on TV or something. And then I watched the first one. I thought, oh, these movies are very similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... Um... I, I, we had the first one on VHS, so I didn't get to see the second one a lot. Um, I would catch it up on TV, so I'm assuming I saw the first one first. Um, there's footage of me somewhere, like, on our home movies. Oh, like Roger Gosnell. Andrew, yes. who's that? Um, someone associated with the Scooby-Doo movie, right? I think so, maybe. Who Two Scooby-Doo movies, maybe. Yeah, yes. He was a very successful editor before he went on to do Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, and that's like a lot of people got their um, starts in this and, you know, blew up because of this, but... Um, yeah, Joe yeah. Pesci. Yeah, this, this is his first role, yeah. It's actually He's funny. Like, an up-and-comer. I was reading this thing that, um, this shows you that, like, the studio had zero desire to, like, make this movie that um, Chris Columbus and John Hughes wanted, um, Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci, and they said, well, you can get Pesci, but we're not going to give you Daniel Stern, so apparently in the way um, Chris Columbus is saying it, that Daniel Stern, I guess, was the bigger get for Fox in 1990, <laughs> which is, I know, I know Wonder Years was, you know, just wrapping up, and that was a huge show, but. Uh, it had to be weird. like a money thing in that case, where they, they probably already had an expensive deal with Joe Pesci. Yeah. It and it would have been just too expensive to bring Daniel Stern on as well. Yeah. Well, it, but, it, I, I think that was the issue, because I read somewhere that Daniel Stern agreed to like a, like a five or six week shoot but then it turned out to be like an eight-week shoot, and the studio wouldn't pay him for those extra two weeks. So Daniel Stern turned down the movie, and then they offered the role to somebody else until eventually they let him go because he didn't think he was right. And then the studio agreed to pay him for those additional two weeks, and then he did the movie. You know, and as we'll get into, like, you know, the movie's filled with um, cut corners and stuff on that. You know, and it's ironic because this became the third highest-grossing movie of 1990. It made $140 million dollars. You know, and how, and how quaint back then that that was the highest grossing amounts is in the low hundred, the mid hundred millions, you know, compared to like Avengers making a billion dollars, but whatever. Um, but yeah, no one thought this was going to be as big as it was. It's, it's crazy how you know, take away, you know, 30 years of Christmas tradition with it. Just like the box office and how big it was in 90 is amazing. Yeah, that's how these things always start out. But do, do you guys know the origins of where this film came from? The idea that John Hughes had for it? Wasn't he on a coke vendor and got left home alone and had to kill two burglars? <laughs> it was, it no. was that or um, 
Well, he was debating that or the uh, the dumpster baby idea that he had. <laughs> I don't know. I think I told you guys about that. How when CAA was courting John Hughes, he like gave him a script about like a a dumpster baby or something like that, and it was just like <laughs> terrible and gratuitous. And the whole thing was like a ploy by John Hughes to see if they would tell him that it was bad, because that's how he would. That's how he knew if he could trust them or not. That's interesting. interesting. I thought you were making reference to Baby's Day Out. Yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> no, this is, a, this is a real story. Yeah, According I, I, to now Powerhouse, that you describe, I remember. the, uh, the yeah. book on CAA. Huh. There you go. Well, well, the idea came from, a, have you guys seen the movie Uncle Buck with John Candy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, now, yeah, I remember the story, but tell yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Macaulay Culkin, and then he answers the door through the uh, through the mail slot with, like, a BB gun, I think, and he's questioning the John Candy's girlfriend, and that's where John Hughes got the idea for the movie. Because yeah, it was sort of envisioned as a vehicle for Macaulay Culkin, if I recall yeah. correctly. Yeah, it was. I know they auditioned like hundreds of boys, but then you know he was always the guy for the part. Yeah, they like they kept coming back to him. Yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. like reading that the studio like because th- I mean this is what blew Macaulay Culkin into stardom. Like, yeah, he had done Uncle Buck and like a few smaller things, but like this is what made him into, like, the media sensation he was in the 90s. And um, I think, like, the studio was like, you're not going to, like, do this without, you know, auditioning other kids. And it was more of a fine formality thing. Again, the studio is really trying to bend us over the barrel on this one. Fine. We'll go through the formality of crushing hundreds of kids' dreams that want to be in this movie instead of just giving it to the kid that we already wanted. And thus spending even more of Fox's money. (laughs) Could have spent that money on Daniel Stern. Yeah. Yeah. Or a good wig for Shovel Man's stunt double at the end, but we'll get to that later. Wasn't yeah, Macaulay like, Culkin was in My Girl before this, though, right? I, I don't know. That came I up think before. My Girl was, I think My Girl was 91. For some reason, I, I could be wrong. I should check these things before I say them on a recorded commentary line. No, it's great because it makes us look incompetent and therefore the listeners feel superior to us. My Girl came out the next year. It came out in 91. That's weird. I always thought he looked younger in My Girl. Could have been one of those things where it got filmed before it and it took a lot longer to come out. I don't know. Um, well, it's just weird because I... I I kind of in half in my mind assume it's before him because for how big he was in the nineties, like he's not the main character. And I can't think of other than the good son, any other movie that he's in where he's not the like, the literal main character. And even in good son, you can say, you know, it's a split between the two of them role. Saved. Oh yeah. I meant when he was young and cute and not old. What are you saying he looked like and saved? You mean 20? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. That's a good movie. I've never seen that. I've heard good things about it. I think it's I saw really part fun. of it on TV years ago. I don't I I was like years ago. I saw that movie like shortly after it came out my older sister rented it from Blockbuster so the shows our age. Um, we're not old enough to remember this in theaters but we're old enough to remember Blockbuster but um Macaulay Culkin plays, like, the main character's um, wheelchair brown brother. And, you know, this is, like, when you start seeing, like, the bunny ears, red-letter media-style Macaulay Culkin humor coming out and his performance. And all I remember is, like, they're saying, we can't invite him. He's not, 
You know, he's n not like you know. It's hard to party with a kid in a wheelchair, and his sister's like, "Come on, he's the life of the party." And it just cuts to them looking at Macaulay Culkin dancing with his upper body while in the wheelchair in an incredibly over the top dorky dance, and it's just perfect. <laughs> and that should be a gif. Also, this kid looks like Macaulay Culkin grown up. So I have my idea that John Hughes originally planned for Home Alone three, that it was M Kevin goes back in time to keep something bad from happening and gets a pizza job. I was going to say, like, how, do, how do you make a Home Alone 3 work with an older Macaulay Culkin? Because it's not so dangerous when he's 15. Well, hence why we didn't get him in part three. Uh, you, you blow up the formula at that point. You do something completely different. Well, I always jokingly <laughs> said what Home Alone... Uh, they make, it a, make it about how he... He can't live with anybody else because he's become so self-sufficient as a result of the events of these films. And he's just constantly, you know, living isolated. See, I was going to say, uh, my idea for Home Alone, uh, it, this would have to be like a Terminator salvation, but hopefully better, where it's just it would, like the Terminator franchise where you ignore all the previous sequel type things. And it would be, Kevin has become really jaded because of this and has like PTSD from like, all these inner things like and whatnot being left home alone being accosted by homeless people in new york and whatnot that he's just like jaded and all that and he like joins the marines and like he's like over like in afghanistan or syria and um he gets left for dead like they think he's dead like the martian and he's like trapped in a base as like isis is seizing it and now it's just like a very dramatic, like this, they're going for the Oscar gold for Macaulay Culkin in the, this uh, iteration. And Marv and Harry have joined ISIS to go to antiquity, so they're there as well. Or go meta and make it about Macaulay Culkin, the real person who's become very rich off these films, is like just a complete disconnected rich person and has like staff that takes care of him. And one day they all get sick of him and they leave, and he has to figure out how to live by himself. He wakes up, it's just like this movie. He's like, where's where's my staff? Hello? And, like, nobody's in the house. Well, I know um, John, uh, Chris Columbus at one point pitched, um, and they mentioned it on the commentary for the, ver the, the um, version I have, and, like, Chris Columbus once pitched that Harry and Marv have gone straight and, like, live in an idyllic suburban house, and Kevin is, like, crazed from this and tries breaking into their homes and like he brings the traps to them and fox is absolutely not maybe that'll be the new disney plus show it'll be 16 episodes no it'll be eight episodes but each episode will be 90 minutes long oh great well it's like how when um, home alone 4 was originally um which brought the kevin character back one last time but like all new characters because this was like 2004 or something like that and it was supposed to be like a backdoor pilot and it's like how the hell do you make home alone into a tv show but disney plus will find a way i mean they haven't actually announced a home alone show or anything like no, that yeah. no I, they're doing a reboot though right yeah they announced a remake yeah so yeah because chris we'll columbus went in the press or no did yeah, it was he, him. Did he? Wait, but was yeah. he talking about? He was talking about Home Alone with that because I remember he like he was saying that oh Hollywood needs to come up with more original ideas and not just remake the same things like I did with Home Alone two. It's <laughs> kind of funny. It was he was. Wait, talking did he about say Home that? 
Yeah, because he he came out in the press and was like, "Oh, stop, stop doing all these unoriginal ideas." And he's like, "And I'm guilty too. I did Home Alone too." I mean, that's the thing that's like it's one of these things where it's like they need to stop making Home Alones because the premise no longer works in 2020 with cell phones and whatnot. Like, I remember when they made Home Alone five. I think it was five. I think there's only five Home Alones right now. Uh huh. And it, it's weird because they're not Home Alone. It's a family that decides we're gonna disconnect from the technology for a while so like the dad buries all their cell phones and ipads like in the backyard for a week so they can be unconnected and just enjoy christmas as a family and then someone tries breaking into the house so now that's why they can't call the cops and crap like that i don't know why the dad doesn't be like hey i got a gun i'm an adult man now um and run for the car but you know there we are I think either the, to take care of that, the robber will just cut the the power lines or something, and that'll be that. Yeah, that's thing. You have to keep coming up with things, and I mean, I suppose in this version they do come up with the the phone lines are out and all that. But I think it had it would have to be a lot more now, thirty years later. Well, it, yeah. Here's an you idea. Just go, you could just go to the Starbucks and call the police or something. No, here's an idea. How about we just don't do another Home Alone movie? Yeah, only one of these is good. I mean, part two is fun, but only one of these is a truly great movie. So it's like the Terminator movies. It's like, just stop trying to make it. You only have, like, this franchise has the world's worst batting average. Just stop. I I mean, I don't know. Like, you got, like, the second movie, and then the third one is sort of, like, kind of an anomaly, and then the other ones are just sort of, like, TV movies. So, you know. I, I don't know. Maybe wait. maybe they can do something, but you're talking about Terminator, Tom Alone. Now I, I don't I don't know which we're talking. About. No, we we miraculously aren't talking about the Terminator franchise because that somehow did not just turn into a bunch of direct to DVD films. It's so weird. If, like you would they think felt of all, like it. Yeah, like got, that one stayed like major theatrical event films. Well, I, that's still that's owned by Fox, right? Is that a yeah. Fox property? Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say no, you know, know what? The uh, Terminator, the rights keep getting passed around everywhere. Oh. Yeah. Um, I think there's like James a weird. Owns them now. I think he owns them now, but there was like a weird deal where they were sold off, and I want to say MGM might have had the rights for like a set amount of time. It, it's very weird with that series. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, see, I've always said for Terminator though, they need just to do a sequel where it's like they acknowledge how convoluted it is, and Arnold's like. We have to go back and kill the man who created all this to stop this from happening. It's like, well, we already killed Miles Dyson. No, we have to go back further. And it just shows a coked out James Cameron in the 80s. He's like, I have an idea for a script. Just gets shot in the head. And that's the end of the movie. So the whole movie would take place on the set of Piranha 2? Yes. It's like they, they try and give him food poisoning to kill him. And instead it causes him to have the nightmare that gives him the idea for the Terminator series. <laughs> Oh, the, no. the PCP to... happened on Titanic. Do you guys know that story? Yeah, no. but uh, he, he had a nightmare, which is what it did inspire um, Terminator. So, well, wait, oh, what no. happened? What happened with Titanic? Well, on the set of Titanic, like a really disgruntled crew member uh, laced James Cameron and some other people with the uh, laced their drinks or something with PCP. Um, no, it was the dinner. They put it, poured it oh. in, like, they had lobster chowder, which, yeah. I'm yes. Like, you fucking rich pricks having lobster chowder. Fuck you. Well, it was a $200 million movie, so, I mean, I, I guess you could have. It was the first of its kind 
So I guess you could afford the lobster chowder. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know. But yeah, so they all got, like, fucked up on it. Like, they had to go to the hospital. I think, if I remember correctly, they were filming, like, the scenes when they're in the water. So, like, it hit them a little later. So, like, I think, like, Leo or Kate Winslet's, like, we're floating with hundreds of people. It's, like, in waist-deep freezing water high on, like, angel dust. That was where, that's how James Cameron came up with the idea for Avatar. <laughs> blue, blue cat people. Ponytails. Yeah, just like in Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. By the way, um, I always like this, and we should talk about because other than um, Buzz, who has become like a character actor, he's been like in a bunch of stuff. He's in Nebraska. He's um, one of Will Forte's um, hick cousins in that movie. He's been in a bunch of other stuff. But the only other person in the McAllister family I've ever seen in is the redheaded brother who played Pete and Pete and Pete. And oh, that's I him. That. Yeah. Oh, Big Pete. I didn't. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, that I love that my show. Mind as, that blew my mind as a kid because I guess this is before Pete and Pete. Yeah, I and mean, this is before Nickelodeon was Nickelodeon. So by the time I was watching, oh yeah, and that's um, um, Chris Columbus's like mother, I think, and daughter. So he's so yeah. I think the stewardess was, is his wife. Yeah. So shows the passage of time that his daughter is now thirty. Um, but yeah, but no, it blew my mind because I'm like, Pete's in this. He's going to have a big role in it, right? Nope, just like two lines. He's one of the siblings we lose by the time we get to part four. Well, obviously, we're not counting the parents in this conversation. Uh, yeah, Catherine I mean, O'Hara and John Hurd. Yeah, I just passed it. But yeah, I mean, they're the only adults outside the burglars. Like, I've never seen um, the aunt or um, Uncle Frank and anything else either. John Hurd. Yeah, he was in Cat People. Chud. With Daniel Stern. Yeah. And that was only like a year, couple years, that was like the late 80s, right? So we're only a few years removed from Chud. Sorry, I just want the Cat People song by David Bowie to play right now. <laughs> he turns that scene on. Uh, oh, no. That movie. I, saw, I actually saw Cat People at a screening with my ex because she really liked uh, Malcolm McDowell and like I, it was like at the Egyptian theater in um, Hollywood and we like went to it and Malcolm McDowell was going on for like an hour about random shit then we watched that movie and then like that movie he did time after time where he's a time driver like H.G. Wells was the second movie to be paired up with that I'm like I don't know like what I would pick as a second feature to go with the you know um, with um, cat people but time after time would probably not be it I'm sorry you're going to have to repeat everything that you just said because my I heard it all clearly, but my brain couldn't compute exactly what you were trying to say. They had a screening of Cat People, first of yes. all. Second of all, Malcolm McDowell was at it and had a <laughs> yes. lot to say. Third of all, uh, you, you had somebody that wanted to go, and, go to this screening that was very passionate about it. Yes, yes to all. And look, I like cat people. Just not a I sentence I hear very often. I can't remember if it was like an anniversary The much-anticipated anniversary screening of cat people. I knew nothing about that movie. Like, literally, I had heard the title, but that is it. So I was confused as shit at the, like at the beginning when it's showing like the fucking cavemen. And then, like, 
you know, he's turning into a cat, and then, like, John Hurt fucks a cat, I think, at some point, and I'm not really sure. No, well, no, no, no. That's, that, that's not what happens. Um, for comedic effect, I'm saying. Know. There's, there's spoilers for cat people. There's no spoilers for Home Alone in this, but there's going to be spoilers for cat people. Because <laughs> the, the thing game. is, if she, you know, if she has sex with somebody that is not a cat person like her, she will turn into the cat monster. And so she's in love with John Hurd, who is normal. So John Hurd, you know, has intercourse with her and then puts her in the zoo. That's the ending. Yeah, it's a, it's it a works. Weird movie. Yeah. It's, it's it, an interesting movie, and it's got, like, a huge cast. You got Ed Begley Jr., Annette O'Toole, him, Natasha Kinski in it. Um, yeah, the, f- the future cast of the CW. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Wait. That's a great idea. A CW cat people. Yes. Oh, I'm yeah, gonna minimize the movie, and I'm gonna start writing this. <laughs> uh, this shows you, though. Again, going back to Home Alone, maybe we should talk about that. Um, again, how low budget this was. That originally Kevin was supposed to have a nightmare at one point about like going into the basement and like all the stuff down there was supposed to come to life and attack him. And Fox is like, nope. So like they just had like two guys behind the furnace with flashlights, and that was their <laughs> effects. I. I don't think I would call this movie low budget so much as tightly budgeted. Uh, yeah, There's tightly a distinct budget, difference yeah. where yeah. this movie had a decent budget, but they they went over a little, but they could not go over much, and they yeah. really had to stay within the parameters of what was set for them. Yeah, they, they wouldn't give them a penny more for certain, and we'll talk about that. Certain um, effects had to be done um, by um, non-professionals and all that in Hollywood, so... Uh, very interesting. I love how this is directed here. How Buzz says it's going to feed you to my like. They're all just nastier versions of of the lines that they said. It's it's really great. <laughs> even in the second movie too, they get more over the top. Like even Fuller, uh, Kieran Culkin actually he uh, he goes from just have you know wetting the bed to just he just sips the soda loudly in the second one. He's like, yeah, with me. <laughs> That's great though. I, oh no! It so is. Funny. It's just funny. It's just funny how it gets more over the top. No, it, it's great because it shows like a little kid, like how the, his mindset and like, and it's you have to do it so you don't think Macaulay Culkin's a little prick in this. That's like okay in his mind, everyone was super fucking mean to him like ten hours ago. That he would still hold resentment towards that. Okay, so in this coming up here, the picture of Buzz's girlfriend is it? Is it here? Right? Yeah, it's in, coming up right now. All right. Well, hold on. Wait till we get to it. Also, I can't uh, well, imagine a family movie showing Playboy anymore. Well, I'll just say now. So the the supposed girl girlfriend of Buzz and I photo is not a girl. It's actually a boy dressed up as a girl. Oh, yeah. I think I've heard that. Yeah, because Chris Columbus said he just he thought it was too cruel to make fun of a girl like that. So I think they make used the production the designer's son. So instead, <laughs> they they traumatized a boy and made him get put in this movie that ended up grossing $140 million. Yeah. yeah. I, I should reach out to him and have him as the as a guest star. It's like, what was that like? How, did Home Alone ruin your life? As, as Kevin's staging Mock's execution of Larry Bird and other players. <laughs> and Kevin has diabetes after this. So, so as a kid, I always thought this was a real movie. 
Same this is like this is the greatest fake movie made for a movie. Yeah, they got it. They got it perfectly. I, I read an article. I, I thought it was real too. Yeah. I mean, well, th- the, there's an article on the Hollywood Reporter in terms of how they shot this and, and executed it. It's really clever. Well, it's like just the little touches, like how they like you know, shot on film stock and then transferred it to VHS and made the tape fucked up. So as you can see, there was like a tracking error on it. So it's like this looks like a you know, like you know a world enough to remember like these classic movies, like It's a Wonderful Life, Citizen Kane, and shit that were g- given horrible VHS transfers in the 90s, and, like, they were able to, like, recreate that feel. This movie was filmed in the 30s and has not been taken care of, and now it's just been sloppily chopped onto VHS. Well, just the, like, the lighting they got perfectly. Yeah. It does look like, like an old-fashioned gangster film. Yeah. I'd watch a whole movie with this, and including its sequel. As a kid, my mom told me this: the the gangster was Herman Munster, (laughs) but she was clearly wrong. (laughs) Not even close. Kind of looks like him. No, he looks more. Kind of looks like Robert Loja. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Okay, so this author here on the book, apparently this this man and John Hurd all both uh, were married to Margot Kidder, so that's a little awkward. Wait. Who was the author of that book that John Hurd is reading? Him and John Hurd were both married to Margot Kidder at one point. Was this done on purpose? Not the marriage, but the fact that he's reading the book in this. I movie. have no idea. No, I re- I remember reading that John Hurd like his this move like this scene was like difficult to film, so he just he had a book he was reading in between scenes. He's like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna continue reading it," and like it created a legal nightmare because then Fox had to clear it. It wasn't like they want they probably wanted him to read like. It's just something else or just be fidgeting around. He's like, I'm going to continue reading the book I've reading on my break. They probably want him to read something in the public domain, like Great yeah. Expectations or something. You see him reading Tom Sawyer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 John Hurd. Great reaction. I still prefer her in the second one where she laughs like a maniac and then passes out. Yeah, and more over the top, but it makes sense given you know it happens again. So you kind of have to go in that direction if you're yeah. if you're doing that. Well, I, I kind of like that about the second movie. Oh no, me too. It's it's funny. It just it's just an observation. Um, yeah, it's like we'll, we'll this. The second movie is much more over the top, but it is like if you're doing a sequel, that the joke is everything that happened in the first one is happening again. Then you just got to push it as far as you can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's great how, like, hair, like you know, you go from, like, these are, in the first movie, these are injuries with, I think, with the exception of the flamethrower on the head, are not that bad, like, that you could say, like, oh, they could keep going. But, like, in the second one, like, they're all, like, they're getting, like, injuries that would kill them multiple times over. Marv turns into a skeleton at one point. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, again, I mean, we can Just talk more about that when we get to the, the trap. just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> I read um, on the early days of the internet, there was like a website um, where it was like, why it was like a fan theory oh, where Uncle here. Frank actually arranged all of this. And oh like, yeah, that that was like a rumored early draft of the script. I don't think that's true, but I don't, I don't think it is either. But like the, they're going over the top that like Uncle Frank knocked the power off. That like do you do you see what causes the branch to break? Maybe it was Uncle Frank, and then like. Um, 
a handful of other things. And like the big thing they went on was um, when you see in the airport, you see Frank in the background talking to somebody on the phone. But then the the, the um, ants line is we keep just getting answering machines. So it's like, who's Frank talking to? He's telling Harry and Marv to go back to the house to kill Kevin. <laughs> it's clearly not at all what that actor was <laughs> intending. It's just like he's on the phone in the background pretending to talk. And no one really paid attention to that. It's always great. And like I saw like my um an old classmate shared on Facebook. It's like, hey, it's time for our annual what the hell did the McAllisters do for a living discussion. It's like, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, they're in the mafia. That's why they're going to break in this house because they know there's gold there, like shit like that. Or you know, he works for the CIA and like, they're trying to get back them. It's like it, none of that was thought about at all. It's just a silly family movie. Yeah, they're just a big well-off family. You, you know that by the house and the family, that's really it. You can infer the rest. Yeah. Yeah, well, and even in defense of this one, when um, Catherine O'Hare is, like, on the phone with the police, like, she refers to the brother who works in Paris, who they're going to visit, paid for them to all go out. So it's not even that, you know, he's paying for this, that it's um, someone else is paying for it. They just happen to live in a nice house. I actually saw for sale someone was selling a t-shirt with the logo of this van on it and it took me like 10 minutes to get like what it was like why like why why would someone want to wear a plumbing company shirt on? oh it's from home alone got it i could never be that much into a movie to be wearing the logos of fictional vehicles <laughs> not even ghostbusters i guess was no, I mean I should rephrase it. It's gotta be like an iconic thing. Like it's like how like the No, I know, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's like I can't imagine spending twenty dollars on a home alone t shirt for the logo of the van they drive like two times. Maybe if you're a t shirt enthusiast. Well, there were other actors considered for Harry and Marv. I think Michael Richards and Christopher Lloyd were considered for Marv. Both of them Which would, would be really fucking creepy if that you was have to give Christopher, Christopher Lloyd. Lloyd the the Marv hair. I don't know. Did anyone just hear what I said? Nope. I don't know if he's coming back. Um, no, I think Christopher Lloyd could have um, pulled that off. I mean, we, me and Jacob were talking about, like, he's only played villains a couple times, um, like in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but he also, and uh, the one, the way I think he would play it is, um, he played a pretty good villain in the first Dennis the Menace movie. You guys remember that? I never yeah, saw it. I, I do remember that, actually. Which was just a ripoff of this movie, essentially. That's That's something you can talk about there. I mean, like, this movie spawned so many imitators, but what really stuck out to me when I rewatched it, uh, we we rewatched it a few weeks ago, was um, was how much heart this film had. It has a real, it's like very emotional, especially at the end. Home Alone, you know, the original here, and all the all the imitators just sort of imitated the ending with the uh, the traps and the burglars. Mm -hmm. they, it really is missing the uh, missing the forest for the trees. Well, it's funny because it's like if you look at a lot of these posters from back in the era, they're like Home Alone meets, and it's like 
it's like if you have to put that on your poster, like you know you're a shameless ripoff. Home Alone meets Ninja Turtles for like three ninjas. Um, I'm blanking some of the other ones, but that became like a poster genre. Home Alone meets, and it's like no, just make your own good movie. Yeah, it's just it's the alchemy of John Hughes and Chris 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 Columbus. I mean, it's it's truly lightning in a bottle. I mean, as much as I like the second one, this is definitively the better best one. And then, like, you look at the sequels, and then the ripoffs are just, like, terrible. But it's, like, it's like... Hey, sorry to interrupt. Is any of my stuff coming through? I've tried talking, like, three times now, and it's just my internet's cut out. Um, Mostly. It it cuts out for, like, five seconds uh, a couple times, but you've come back, usually. All right. Sorry. We can cut that out. Yeah. Um... But yeah, these ripoffs, like, you know, they they just don't have the heart. And, like, you know, it's like it's lightning in the bottle of John Hughes, Chris Columbus, you know, and then all these great actors, you know, including, you know, this guy. This is well, one this of my favorite scenes. I always think of that guy in Seinfeld. He plays, like, Kramer's doppelganger in an episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, wait, not his doppelganger. When they're making a, the Jerry sitcom, he's playing the Kramer part, the, the sitcom within the sitcom. And, yeah, Mike, and he wants nothing to do with Kramer. Sorry, I'm about to go on a whole Seinfeld tangent. But like, I just Kramer's noticed like, the donut that was on his phone. I never noticed that until now. Yeah. Oh. The donut gets stuck on his phone while he's talking. Oh, oh I yeah, never noticed that. He improvised that. all of this, including getting the donut stuck on the phone. They said that was an editing nightmare. Hmm. But continue with Seinfeld. So one of the girls, Megan, I don't know which one it is, but... I read that she quit acting and joined, like, the Olympic judo team or something. I think Megan is the blonde. Megan, okay. I don't know why. It's hard to keep track of them, as we've seen with the sequels, when they drop off dramatically. Yeah, I, I still don't know any other fucking names. I mean, people only remember Buzz, and, like, that's saying, like, I think in the end of it, like, if you actually like look at the family photo later when he looks at it, the only one of like it's all of them and then the only people that are not in the immediate family are fuller and the aunt and uncle like i always imagined oh and then the one older cousin is the um daughter of the um uncle they're going to visit but it's like i always imagined that this family was actually a lot smaller than what it actually was <laughs> that actually reminds me that's just one of the part of the, the things probably that made it credible that they lost track of kevin just the amount of kids because I, I know John, I think John Hughes mentioned that he had to make it credible enough where a mother would forget her son. Because that is very hard to pull it off. I mean, they do it here, but we kind of take it for granted because they do. But you really got to put some thought into that. Otherwise, it's going to make these parents come off as very unlikable and stupid. If the parents are meant to be sympathetic, yes. Yeah. If they're not, then you can just have them be horrible, evil monsters. But that's not what the movie's going for. I read somewhere in the scene, there's like this stupid theory. It's it's nonsense, but I always thought it was funny where people think it was Elvis Presley. No, that that's later on. That's oh, it's later on. Okay. Yeah, that's when they're in the Scranton um, airport when John Candy shows up. Oh, okay, it's not this time. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, but no, that's thing. It's like even with the second one, like as ridiculous it is, again, like it still makes sense that this family 
fucked up when you look at the series of things that happened that had one of these things not happened, they wouldn't have forgotten him. That's just, you know, it was the perfect storm of shit happened that you could believe this would happen. And also, I think a lot of people put on now post 9-11. Yeah, sorry, I'm going to bring it down. Um, post 9-11 um, travels that, like, you're now transporting you know, onto your thing of going through security, going through ticketing and all that versus back in the 90s. Like, okay, do you have metal in your pockets? Cool. Get on the fucking plane. Here you go. You know, do you have a physical ticket? We don't need to scan anything. That's, like, a lot easier 30 years ago to do this than it is now. From there. I don't know. My my internet keeps cutting out. Are we still talking about cat people? <laughs> yes, yes, we are. No, we're talking about nine eleven. <laughs> you missed a lot. You better cut that out, was. <laughs> no, I I think it is true though that nine eleven um, has changed airport travels, obviously, and people. Do not take into consideration well, what it was like in the 90s. Anyway, this scene, you can see Kevin's trying to get a basketball. <laughs> we actually paused this movie um, when we, me and Kevin watched it right there when his hand was sticking out. And it looked like the killed Kevin was dead on the ground. <laughs> if this movie were realistic... Harry and Marge would break in later tonight, find the dead kid, and be like, oh, fuck, we gotta get out of here. <laughs> the twerp's dead. The twerp's dead. The, the, the mom comes out, and she's like, Kevin? Kevin? Oh, Kevin, he's I, dead. I like to imagine, though, Marv would be stupid enough to want to, like, bury him, and he just pulls Harry into it, like, we gotta chop him up, or the cops are gonna find out he's dead, and they just make it no, worse No, they're, they're the web bandits, so they flood the house, and they give him a Viking funeral. Oh, <laughs> when we actually um because my roommate's girlfriend has never had never seen this movie so we watch this and when they get into the scene where you see him like she's like oh wow they're pieces of shit they're stealing everything and then you see like turning it the water on and she's like oh and their water bill is going to be through the roof i'm like no he clogs the six up floods that's just like wow they're fucking truly evil people i don't care what they do to kevin but they're evil for what they do here It's great. They're just not concerned about fingerprints at all. They just keep picking shit. What happens if you call that number now? What happens if you call that number? I'm assuming it's Macaulay Culkin's phone number. So let's call it right now. Excellent. It wasn't a 555 number, so... That's actually a good point. Um, I never really pay attention to it, but yeah, seeing the captions on the screen, it's like, oh, they used a real number. Actually, like, they did that in um, Bruce Almighty. You know, the director hated um, 555 numbers, so he picked a real phone number. But, um, and, you know, that movie takes place in Buffalo, my home area. So love that movie. It's my favorite movie because of that. No. Uh, but it was a big news story that he checked in the Buffalo area to make sure that there was no um, phone number. That phone number did not appear, but didn't take into account that it appears in other parts of the country. So they did a whole news story on all these poor bastards who are now getting phone calls from people trying to talk to Jim Carrey or Morgan Freeman as God. I'm sorry. That's such like a entertainment industry problem or mistake to make. 
oh, nobody in the local area has this number. So that means we can use it, not accounting for area codes and stuff like that. Well, because they very clearly in the thing say 716, whatever the phone number is that, you know, under normal circumstances. Be fine. By the way, I, I have to say with Shovel Man here, um, I get the whole lesson we try and do at the end of don't judge a book by its cover. But this isn't just like him seeing an old guy and assuming he's scary. It's like, look at how he fucking glared at that child who was doing nothing. It's like, he's deliberately doing shit to scare this kid, I think. You know, it's like CinemaSins even made fun of that. I'm saying, it's like, what, is this what he does because he's a lonely old guy? He's like, I'm going to like live up to the whole, I'm a creepy murderer and just freak the fucking kids out. It's not like with part two where, and that's where I think part two is a little bit better in that thing where... He just freaks out by the pigeon lady. She's not actually doing anything scary. This, I think Kevin's 100% justified to be terrified of this old man. Well, I, I think you're not taking into account that it's all told from the perspective of this little kid. That's how he sees this old man, given they the information really that, that he got from his, people. They don't really do that from his brother. People, though. Like, he doesn't see the cop as like a jack fucking guy who's gonna kill him or he just he's like a fat guy so i don't know that i could believe no, they, they very they very clearly like shoot all the stuff with him though like from his perspective like that shot we just saw there was shot from kevin's height looking up at him it's it's because they don't know this guy so it's meant to be his interpretation of what he thinks he is based on just what little he's seen of him in real life along with the story that buzz told him I suppose. I don't know. Either way, I always just get a kick just seeing this guy creepily stare at Kevin as he, like, walks away. Well, in hindsight, it's not meant to be creepy. It just, sure. it looks creepy from I, Kevin's and perspective. I think, and it's directed I, that way. He's yeah, just, I like, the sad only guy. for Kevin to say hi. Lonely basically. guy. Yeah. I, I think a, um, yeah. a lesser movie would have done, tr like, truly nothing and, like, really played off. I think it works, still works here that it is creepy. It could it could be played off creepy and like you said it's from his perspective so it still works though. Well yeah yeah you just explained the point of the scene. Fuck. Yeah. In the context. So anyways, Fred Savage here is um, plugging the sinks up, right? Get it? <laughs> Look up Wonder Years on IMDb and you'll get it. So do they, I think I read they shot yeah, this scene see, in reverse. Um, when it stopped, when Kevin screams, you can see his um, scarf being pulled up because it was backing away and got caught in the grill. So you saw, like, sorry, it was being pushed downward. So he still had a stand in front of that truck when they yeah, put it so in reverse, like, though, right? teach Macaulay Culkin how to walk in reverse, um, believably. So they said that was a little difficult to be like, hey, seven-year-old child, do this. Make sure that stun drive really puts in reverse. <laughs> I think about that a lot with movies with cars. Like, I think about that with, like, Back to the Future 3 when they're pushing the um, DeLorean with the train. That, like, you know, like they say in the commentary, like, McCall, uh, Michael J. Fox was terrified about this because, like, oh, yeah, in theory, the safety rig... We'll just continue pushing the door, but if something fucks up here, I'm going to be crushed to death in this car. I did that for a movie in college that I made, like a short film, where I had to have a car crash into another car. And the scene, and so we like filmed them separately and just combined them in post. However, the guy driving one of the cars, my car, was so out of it that like he accidentally just like hit the car into something anyway. 
board. <laughs> Wait, was that the that accidental was, song? Um, the promotion. I'll put, oh, I'll put the link. Promotion. I'll put the link below. Um, yeah, that's we just combined the two cars and like the two shots into one shot. But the guy was like so out of it and like not paying attention and just like hit my car into something anyway. Yeah. Um, I have to mention <laughs> here now with Kevin. At least it wasn't Macaulay Culkin. No, it was just my car. Um, I have to mention here of the scene of Kevin hiding in the church. My grandmother always told me when I was growing up, if you're ever being chased, just hide in a graveyard because they'll be too scared to come into the graveyard after you. Like I guess like it was a spiritual thing that God would help you. And I'm just like imagining, though, the way I interpret it was, as soon as I stepped foot into the graveyard, I could just stop and be like, nan, 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 you can't get me, and then I would be murdered by an atheist criminal. So thankfully that never happened. <laughs> would have been like Hocus Pocus. Oh yeah, and they um, talked about how they had to edit this line, and because they thought it was too confusing, why Kevin would just assume they were coming back and set this all up. I think it still would have worked. Well, yeah, just yeah. just some ADR. But, you know, they felt they had to add it in. Yeah. Makes and, sense. And, um, yeah, this, I think, other than, like, the trap scene is probably the most famous scene in the movie. And, um, whenever, you know, with, uh, whenever, you know, I see it referenced, it's usually, like, the paint cans and then this scene. Yeah, it's just a good way to get the, the bat get the bad guys away from the house and for it shows, a while you know how ingenious kevin is and it's it is good filmmaking that they set all this shit up you see when he goes in the basement you see the mannequins you see mm -hmm. in his brother's room he's got um the you know michael jordan cardboard cut out you know yeah okay fine we don't see the trains but you see enough of this that it's justifiable i just imagine him being there all night doing this not knowing when they were going to show up <laughs> Or just it's clever. Breaks. It's you saw the the Michael Jordan cut out before. You saw the mannequins in the basement, and we're probably like, why are there mannequins in Kevin's basement? But that's another thing. But it's it's fun, clever little stuff. The dad uses them at the shooting range because he's CIA. Remember? <laughs> I just always assumed the mom maybe was a seamstress. Nice stock footage. And I like this running gag that they had in the second one where wherever they're going, they're watching a foreign language dub if it's a wonderful life. <laughs> I, and it's always a scene where Jimmy Stewart's in anger because in the second one, it's um, when he's yelling on the phone to the teacher um, when he comes home right after that, um, right after Uncle Billy loses the money. So they're always like, we, it's funny to see Jimmy Stewart being angry in a different language, I guess. There's a great Jimmy Stewart quote where he's like, I think at this point, even I'm doing an imitation of Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> There's actually um, Dean, on the Dean Martin roast for Jimmy Stewart, they had a Rich Little, um, the celebrity impressionist, and he's like, he does that joke. He's like, you know, your impression's getting worse, Jimmy. He's like, let me teach you how to, go to do a good Jimmy Stewart impression again. And forces Jimmy Stewart to do an impression of himself. It's great. Yeah. I love this. Uh, <laughs> How stupid they make Buzz. It's great. Is this the one where he says A, two, a and then and 2? Then <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I 
and I think that's the because I've seen it in a couple different. Is different this movies. it? I know they did it in Vacation, but they just kept it to Chevy Chase screwing up. It was A two, um, C four. Like so, he was doing it, but it's like they're like they knew to take it one step beyond to make it like he even fucked that up. Well, that reminds me. Originally, Christopher Colum- Chris Columbus, sorry, was gonna was gonna direct National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, but then once he met with Chevy Chase, he realized he wasn't gonna get along with them. Big surprise! So he turned the movie down, and he uh, and he, uh, he ended up doing. Fun this. fact: um, apparently, Chris Columbus was one of the producers of The Lighthouse. Wait, what? Oh, he was. I, I mean, I saw the movie months ago, but I remember remember that and. Thinking how odd it was. So freaked out about that, you slammed your hand on the desk to punctuate that. I probably did. And he directed, uh, is it the Christmas Chronicles? Is that what the what it's called in Netflix? The second one. Yes. Yeah. Man's got range. Both of them. Yeah, I always felt Chris Chris Columbus was a very underrated director. I he he never gets enough credit. Yeah, he's just remembered just across the board. Always being overshadowed by you know the other guy. Who, the director of Home Alone 3? Andrew got it. Yeah, I got it. I like um, Mara Wilson once tweeted out. Um, Think hard about it, Jake. It was the easiest joke I could have possibly made. Who is Chris Columbus overshadowed by? All right, no, we're moving on. Joke's over. Okay, anyway, this is the scene where the guy tries to deliver a pizza, but he thinks that there's a gangster shooting him. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think, though, g- briefly going back, Chris Columbus is, like, you know, an underrated director. And um, we, I think I might have made reference to it before in one of the previous commentary. I might not have. But um, the year after this, Chris Columbus did a great movie um, called Only the Lonely. It's called it's a romantic comedy starring John Candy and Ali Sheedley and Maureen O'Hara. It's like a loose remake of Marty. And it's, like, a really, like, heartfelt movie, and it shows, like, the good drama chops that John Candy had. You know, it's a shame we didn't get to see him do more roles like that. But, you know, you know, it's not a wacky movie like this or, like, you know, Harry Potter. It's just, like, a straight rom-com, mostly focusing on the rom and the com. And it's, um, I think, a very underrated movie, and I think people should check it out. He also did Mrs. Doubtfire, which is probably my favorite comedy. And he did a little thing called starting the entire Harry Potter franchise. Yes. Well, that's that's the other thing he doesn't get enough credit for. I I think we really take for granted just the success of that first movie or the or the first two of he everything had to go so right for that first movie, and and it did. Just I mean, maybe this isn't the place to to talk about it, but I I think all that has to be given credit to Chris. Chris Columbus for that because he really yeah. he to really the pulled it to off. him and the makers of that first film the casting was on point. You had like John Williams and his theme, the entire look of that universe. Like the other films were more mature, obviously, but like he defined what it was and got people invested in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Well, just and, and the just I think him as a director just fits so well for those first two movies. Cause I read somewhere he deliberately wanted to make it as like a golden, kind of like a golden age storybook sort of way about it in terms of how it looked and, and was told. And I, I think they pulled that off, but it was appropriate for those first two movies. And then I think it was appropriate that he would, that he, uh, he left after and handed the reins off, but that whole franchise, you know, they owe it to yeah, him. No, for sure. Yeah. 
Coming in, great director. Him and yeah, him and the, the whole team for that those first two movies, especially the first one. And that's not yeah. well, David not a criticism. Too, right? well, David not Heyman a criticism too, right? of the second uh, one, which I really like um, as well. In fact, yeah. second one might be one of my personal favorites. But the yeah. also yeah. the writer. Um, Steve Close. Steve Close. Steve Close. He wrote all yes. of them except the fifth one. Yes. 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 Steve Close, Chris Columbus, and David Heyman. I. I they. They. They did an incredible job. They. They deserve a goddamn medal. I mean, if you read like the, the Steve Close scripts, like I think the three and four are like 130 pages. Because I, I re- recently rewatched all of them. I know I'm going off topic, but my Not God. Like we usually do that. Well, we're talking Chris Columbus. And he wrote Gremlins. Let's not forget. He wrote Gremlins, yeah. 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 I think his version was a little darker, I think. Because I think Spielberg came in and had some changes made to it. But I don't know how that movie could have been darker than we got. And then, well, I think Gizmo was going to, he was permanently changed into the Gremlin. You know what's funny? I yeah, because that was a Spielberg call that won't have him permanently change. Yeah. That that seems like a very Spielberg thing to do. Did you guys? All right, now we're getting really off topic. But did you hear that rumor about Episode Nine? How apparently it was Steven Spielberg's idea no. to show that Babu Freak survived in the end. No. Apparently, the, the the rumor was that they screened it to him just to see what he thought, and he his comments coming out were where's babu freak and you got to uh you got to put him back in there otherwise everyone will think he died that's a very polite way of saying of trying to of disregarding the rest of the movie and just trying to be helpful (laughs) at the same time that's that yeah because sounds like he did the same thing with gizmo yeah except that was a good movie well wait 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 are you saying something about star wars right now no, I was talking about. Oh, Gremlins. I'm sorry, my internet's cutting out. I thought we were still talking about cat people. I was trying to get you back on. Oh. Oh. Yeah, guys. Th- this well, thank God you're here. Sync up perfectly well for cat people. So just um, you can switch it over. So at this point, cat people. Um, Ed Bailey Jr. is getting his <laughs> arm ripped off. Oh yeah. The- I will say that's a fun thing about watching movies <laughs> with actors who were not as big as they are now back in the day. Because I thought Ed Begley Jr. was going to have a much bigger role in that movie than he did, and I did not foresee that scene coming. You know, I could have sworn I saw Ed Begley Jr. Well, he did, um, he did go to um, um, a, ca- a Catholic school in Lewiston, which is not too far from um, Buff State, so he might have been in the area visiting. I, I I thought I thought I saw him. He was in the screening room for for like the short films. I thought oh, it was him. He had his arm what intact. Did, what did he think yeah. of the accidental felon? Well, I don't think it was that year. I think it may have been like a year later. Or I know. I, I was going to reference another film, but then I realized in the context of this commentary track, the only one that would make sense was the accidental felon because you mentioned it earlier in the commentary. Oh, if I said something like "My dear Stephanie," then everybody listening would would have been like, "What?" We're really diving into the McCall cinematic universe here. Oh, see, I actually didn't make <laughs> the "My new dear MCU Stephanie." Um, oh. 
<laughs> Jake, right. you're more familiar with that one. Yes, I may have written a movie that went oh, by that, that name. Is that the nearly a decade ago? We're really diving into the second. We're really diving into yes. the second-rate part of second-rate films right now <laughs> with, our, uh, with our old college films here. <laughs> yeah, Daniel Stern had a cameo. He, was, he had a cameo, but then Jake decided to cut him out because he was too expensive. Exactly. Yeah, no, he didn't want to shoot for, for six weeks. I actually remember like when I was at Ithaca, I saw like someone was putting up a poster for their um, thesis, and I was like, audition to be in this thesis, which also will star Dan, um, Dylan Baker of Spider-Man 2. Like, apparently like, it was like his cousin or something like that and it's i'm just thinking that like you were friends enough with um, daniel stern that he would come on to film your short film in college unfortunately no we could not get mr stern he was unavailable well that reminds me have you guys yeah. seen city slickers no i actually haven't great movie ed great movie daniel stern's in that um yeah, I uh, I enjoyed that a lot more than I thought I that I would. Not that I thought it was going to be bad, but it's yeah. it's a very well made comedy with a very strong script. Have you ever heard of, speaking of other movies Daniel Stern's been? Have you ever heard of Bushwhacked? No, but I've seen Deep Six Below. Wait, what's the name of that, Jacob? Deep Star Six. Wait, what? You know that the, the alien ripoff. Oh, Leviathan. Oh, I oh, forgot Leviathan. that Daniel Stern is in that. He's like he has like the John Hurt yeah, role yeah. in that. Really? I'll have to look at it. Yep. But uh, Bushwhacked is an interesting thing because it was on ABC Family or um, Fox Family, whatever it was, back in the t day in the like mid-90s. So I saw it a lot. And it was, I think, if I remember correctly, originally written that it was supposed to be his character from this that was just going to be a spinoff. But they couldn't get the rights to do that. So he's, just, he's essentially playing um, Marv again, but he's a criminal who breaks out of jail and then takes the place of a scout leader. And, like, it is, like, like it's really... Oh, yeah, that supposedly is Elvis in the background, the guy in the gray um, behind the woman in the white. Yeah, it's not... <laughs> Spoiler alert. Well, because Columbus um, brings that up on the commentary that every few months, people who believe Elvis is alive will, like, accuse him of, like, putting him in there. But then, apparently, when he's like, no, it's I, I didn't put it in there, apparently Elvis just does um, central casting every now and then. I guess this guy is in a lot of is an extra in a lot of Chris Columbus movies, but this is his first, so I guess that means he was in the Harry Potter movies too. It's <laughs> actually the actor. Who plays it's just like they have all the teachers lined up in the Great Hall, and one of them looks like Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> um, this scene also has a interesting um, fan theory behind it that John Candy is the devil. Um, but like, oh it, god, it, it, it's um, it, you know, it's someone who clearly does not remember the actual um, flow of it that. You can see he's already turned around as Kate is screaming, but in the person's um, theory, it's like he only reacts when she says, "I will sell my soul to the devil." But they they remember that in their mind is it's a Mandela effect of him saying, her saying, "I'll sell my soul to the devil," and then John Candy immediately turns around. Which even if that was the case, I don't think they were trying to make him the devil. He's the most he's the most affable devil ever. If that's the case. <laughs> Actually, that would be a great casting choice if John Candy played Satan. I mean, he dressed up like the devil in planes, trains, and automobiles, so we know visually it could work. No, not even as that. It could be just John Candy like this. 
I mean, it would be a fun thing to find out that Kate is now going to hell because she sold her soul, but it would it still would work. I like this scene because it's a rare example of a scene that's pretty clearly improvised to some extent that works. It is. I, I think he improvised all yeah. his lines. I mean, actually. again, it should, and you know, the two of them were really good friends, so they obviously had good chemistry to play off each other. So you know, take good two good actors who are good friends, and it works. Here's a question: Is this the only time time that John Candy had a cameo where he wasn't a cop or a security guard? <laughs> I always think about this. He's a security guard in Vacation. He's a cop in nothing but trouble. And I'm just going to go bat three for three here. He is a cameo in the Sesame Street movie as a cop. He's also a cop in Blues Brothers. Yes. I, sh- I haven't seen yeah. him forever. Not, not that, in JFK. That's the one I missed right now. Yeah, and JFK, he's not a um, cop or a security guard. So there you go. Ooh, the holy duo of non-cop security roles for uh, or cameos for john candy home alone and jfk that's a true double feature i want to see well john candy in this movie i believe worked for scale which back then i think was 414 dollars <laughs> in like one day and it was a hour shoot yeah 23 yeah. hours i think yeah Yeah, they went really over it. And actually, that's originally it was written in the script that there was going to be an actual goodbye as Kate was getting out of the van, you know, as we see in the final version. They have their brief discussion about, you know, and it's a hilarious of him leaving his son at the funeral home and her being like, uh, can we not talk anymore? And that's like the end of it. Um, you know, that's, you know, the end of it. But um, originally, they were supposed to be like a heartfelt her thanking him and like him wishing them a Merry Christmas. And like they just did not have time. So it just ends now with her unceremoniously getting out. And it's like, thanks for nothing, asshole. This should be, if they ever do this in Criterion Collection, that should be the poster. Just like him looking in the bulb and you see Joe Pesci <laughs> in the background. I like this. I like how they like they kind of outsmart Kevin in this scene. It's like mm-hmm. a good way of switching the autonomy up a bit and raising the stakes where Kevin tries pulling another quick trick and it doesn't work. Yeah. Makes him makes him a little more credible. Yep. And it increases the stakes too cuz now they know. And it's yeah, and they do it by fi- being a pretty clever. Well, one of them at least. Yeah, one of them. <laughs> You're right, though. I can just imagine, like, they find a dead Kevin and Marv is the one to, um, incriminate themselves worse. I love that line. You're afraid of the dark, too, Marv. (laughs) Now, see, could you imagine, though, if, like, Kevin had, like, a shotgun and just, like, blew them away, like, so... <laughs> Mar- Marv sticks his head to the doggy door, just blasts his head. Harry's like, Harry's like, oh my god, what have you done to my friend? You killed him. We were just gonna steal some VCRs and you murdered him. It sets the fireworks off from Buzz's room right next to his head. 
there's an R-rated movie in this. Now, and we're coming up to um the guy from um Armageddon. I, what? Who I, yeah, uh, the guy ben who plays. Black. <laughs> what? Wait, is it Peter Stormare as Santa? No, I'm blanking on his name, but he was like the Quiznos baby. Um, what are you the... doing here? Get out now! Oh yes, I work for Santa. <laughs> no, he's the heavy set. I think Max is his name. He's the heavy set guy um, in Armageddon who's in the um, like rover that gets oh! blown up by Belushi. Yeah, that is him. Yeah. I guess Chris Farley auditioned for this part. He would have been good. Well, hey there, buddy. Holy shnikes! Just covered in cocaine. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And th this is a nice touch, because, you know, some people have said, like, um, oh, does this tell kids that Santa's not real? It's like, no, I, I, as a little kid never got the idea that Santa wasn't real from this, and, you know, Kevin has the line of, like, I know you're not the real Santa, but can you tell him that? I thought that was a, you know, having your cake and eating it, too, of uh, having the bad Santa, but, you know, not ruining it for kids. Well, you know, as kids, we were all brainwashed to think that these were Santa's helpers. Yeah. Well, you know. I'm I joking. Think, I... I'm not, I <laughs> No, I'm trying to say kids aren't thinking that deeply about it. Because I always think of that scene in, like, A Christmas Story where uh, the kids go up to bed and then the dad is just like, all right, let's go get them, like the presents. But, like, if you're a kid, that's just going to go over your head. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, he's, like, listening for the door to shut. And he's like, all right, let's go get them. <laughs> yeah. But, I don't know, I, I guess, I think it's a little both. Like I said, I think they did. And also, I love, like, that wasn't, like, in the script. Like, the car actually did break down, and, like, Chris Columbus was just, like, holding his breath, trying not to laugh, praying that Macaulay Culkin wouldn't turn around to ruin the take. This kid walking through Chicago all by himself. Not it's gonna murdered. be freezing. It's Chicago in the winter, that's... It's a good thing they paid their electric bill, otherwise Kevin would have frozen to froze to death. <laughs> their their vacation was gonna be a lot longer than like a couple days. Yes. <laughs> We're going for a month. Might as well shut the power off. Oh, <laughs> shut the water off too. So do you think it's like anytime like we go on a vacation with our pets, like we leave extra bowls of food and water out? Do you think they did that for Kevin after this? Like just leave a lot of food at accessible levels for him. Dry goods. Here's a bunch of boxes of cereal, Kevin. <laughs> I, I think it's nice that Kevin going past the church again apparently was nice enough to put up the um, curtain from the manger that he stole. He uh, or took down to hide. He put it back up evidently. Because you can see it back up. Oh, well, that's what I like about Kevin, like Jacob, your time of this movie having Harley. Kevin is a good kid at the end of the day. He just. Yeah, and there's a, there's a really strong emotional core. It's about him, you know, learning to appreciate his family and mm -hmm. what he has. Yeah. And it parallels well with the old man who has lost his family because they became estranged. It's like what Kevin could become if he had continued down that path. Jesus.
Now that you, and Jacob's right though, um, you know that it is like a. I never thought about, it, but that's a good way of looking at it. You know, this is when he's starting to, you know, learn the errors of his ways. And I mean, we already saw that he was looking wistfully at his um, family's picture, but like he still needs, as we see in the end, like needs a little convincing from the mom before he runs into the heartwarming hug. Dramatic music sting. Well, this actor—he looks so familiar, but I—I I, I seen him in he's, some other stuff. But I know yeah, he's I, been in, he was in um, Christie, or Christine. Sorry. Oh, who was he in Christine? He um, is the guy who sells the car, I believe. Oh, that is him. Yep, you're right. You're yeah. right. Uh, I guess he also played Ed Gein in a movie. So, really, that's, that's a little ironic. <laughs> Why? Because Kevin was inspired by Ed Gein. I wouldn't say that. Again, John Hughes, high on quaaludes, was reading a book about Ed Gein. He's like, what if Ed Gein used paint cans to stop the cops as they were coming in? Also, I hear people trying to come up with fan theories of what old man Marley did to um, get his son to never want to talk to him again. And my favorite is... Huh, that daughter doesn't really look like the father. What if his granddaughter is really his daughter? He's his son's wife. And that's my headcanon. Or he's an old man and just was incredibly racist. Jacob, do you have any theories on what old man Marley did? But yeah, you know, he was a uh, he was a greedy moneylender, and he eventually, you know, died and was stuck in chains for the rest of his life. Yeah. I wonder if that was like a deliberate thing, because the only Marleys I know are this Bob Marley and then um, Jacob Marley. My brother worked with a guy named Marley. Oh, and Marley and me. All right, so there's a lot of Marleys in the world. Fair enough. All right, this is good. It's funny because, um, again, on the original commentary for this movie, um, Macaulay Culkin and this guy actually would be reunited like a year later to do an ad for Ellis Island where they played um, grandson and grandfather. Huh. Showing like, their newly reopened like Ellis Island. They were like a family going there to see their roots. And I guess like... I'd have to try and find it, but I guess, like, the implication is, like, you know, he came through Ellis Island. It's like, you know, see where it all began. Maybe Kevin is actually this guy's grandson. <laughs> or his son. So it's very <laughs> awkward right now. He can't really tell him. <laughs> He's like, my son took his family to Paris. My dad did to... Oh, I mean, that's my granddaughter over there. <laughs> <laughs> I have a restraining order. <laughs> I'm not really supposed to be this close to you. I bought the house right there because it's just one foot further away than the restraining order allows. 
You just see at the end, like, they're all having the tearful reunion. John Hurt looks out the door as he's, like, kind of coming up with a half-hearted smile. Just shuts the door in his father's face. (laughs) But, yeah, Home Alone 3. Greatest one of the trilogy, if you ask me. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Ebert actually um, liked the third one better than the first two, he said. Which that always shows you that film reviewers aren't always right. I imagine he had very principled reasons as to why. Maybe. He usually does. But I think the like really good part with this scene um, is just like... They could have, like, you know, and I know people um, make fun of um, Macaulay Culkin being, like, too much of an adult at times in all these movies. But I think, like, his um, little speech here is simplistic enough. Like, and it, like, it seems like something a real, like, eight-year-old or seven-year-old, however old he, he's supposed to be, you know, would actually say things. And that's, I always, even the, the second one, the way he looks at life is very true to an eight-year-old. Now, yeah, would that truly solve a elderly man's problems? Maybe not, but it, it always felt at least honest to me with it. Well, it, it works within the context of the movie for what they're going for. It's it's credible yeah. within the context, and that's what's most important. But there's always, there's like a dual layer, too, with Kevin that I've always appreciated, where on one hand, he's, um, you know, on one hand, he's acting more mature because it's Macaulay Culkin, and he has a wit to him, but there's always sort of an underlying sort of subtext that he's a kid and doesn't quite have it all figured out still actually that santa scene is a great example where he goes up and he's acting all mature like i know the truth now and then it pulls the rug out from under you oh you work for the real santa there's the dual layer there where he's still acting like a kid which yeah and again you know we can make fun of Macaulay Culkin for being a weirdo. No, um, Either everybody heard me or the internet just froze out. I'm not sure. No, we heard no, you. We yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we could no I, I couldn't tell because nobody was moving. <laughs> well, that's why I said with Jake earlier that you were pissed off at the beginning about um, your laundry. And then you froze. And I said either he froze or he's so pissed off he's just frozen in anger right now and not blinking. <laughs> oh, God. One or the other. Now, see, I, I will say the one thing I I find ridiculous with this is um, the micro machines because doesn't he come he covers them with the carpeting right that wouldn't work I I've never liked the trope of people tripping on shit like that but it's like is, isn't it covered with the carpet or am I off based here I can't remember I just love that it's like he's like you know he's spraying stuff with the hose and like putting up these little traps and then you just see the <laughs> the nail. <laughs> Well, it's great. I love this because it's it's very much like the traps that a kid would set. Yes. Well, it. I think it's fun because, like you said, like you, you, it's like oh, slippery ice, micro machines, nail to the foot, blowtorch to the head. Well, it, to me, it's it's almost like cartoon sort of. It's, you can you can kind of yeah. infer that Kevin's watched cartoons, and this is where he, where he's gotten it from. Well, and I love um, Daniel Stern talks that were, you know, obviously a little bit before, um, but, like, he got the shit kicked out of him doing this, um, and it's great that, like, it's like, yeah, whatever, you gotta do this still. I, I just thought, of, when he was setting, when the montage began and, and he first started setting, like, the toy cars on in front of the, 
in front of the front door. I, I just kind of wish they just stopped, and that was it. That was all that he did. <laughs> the music just kicks think... into high gear, and then he just, yep, that's it. Then he walks away. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, I think it was Robot Chicken did a sketch. What if? That. What if the burglars just had to like delay their thing a day or something like that? <laughs> He's just waiting around the house, like, with, trying to evade all these traps. The bird just falls. That's when Catherine O'Hara shows up the next day. Kevin, ah! she steps on the nail. <laughs> oh god, he kills his entire family because each of them is trying to come through a different way to surprise him. <laughs> Kevin, you're in big trouble because a you ruined the house and two you killed our mom. <laughs> like to call back. It really um, was a disease. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, Kevin, we're orphans now because of this. Um, <laughs> it's just a real but, no, I, but I think it was Robot Chicken that I was trying to say is um, they show them like the criminals coming in and they're like, uh, watch out for those micro machines on the ground. And yeah, it's a little icy, but um, yeah, be, just be careful, I guess. And oh, the, the door's hot. I'm not going to hold on to it, though. No, it was a Family Guy cutaway joke. I can now see that in the Family Guy style. Um, I think, like you said, Wes, it'd be funny if this is just a huge twist and this was a real gun and he just shoots him in the balls. <laughs> see, like, it's funny because, like, this got imitated so much that this is basically a trope unto itself, the, the kid outsmarting the dumb adults. But, like, this was very clever and creative back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this whole idea of like these two burglars being outsmarted by all these practical kid traps. Yeah, I mean, it, again, it's you know you hate what. And it yeah, the first trap is just Kevin shooting Joe Pesci. So yeah, in the balls. And, then, <laughs> yeah. and then this was another one of the things where this movie didn't have, have uh, had a very tight budget that they had to pay some guy who lived in Chicago who ran like an editing like he was like a guy who just did editing in his spare time lived in his mother's basement where he had like an office as a freelance editor had to pay him to like frame by frame edit in a bullet on there because huh. Fox wouldn't give them any more money to do it. So, cause that was like an early CGI effect of the bullet coming in. Huh. I always like to think if you freeze frame it, you can see Kevin carved his um, name on each bullet. I guess Kevin's stunt double is a, is a very small 30-year-old man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh, I, watching oh, that, I mean, I, I still love it. It's still great, but now I was an adult watching I just go, ow. Mars back is fucked up for the right. <laughs> yeah. Funny, because like you said, Jake, they're all like practical kid traps. Yeah. When the second film comes along and it's like every trap would have killed them. Like Marv would have been killed by like the first brick to the head. What's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. great about it in the second one. Yeah. No, no, that's like, it's like, I think with really with the exception of the flamethrower onto the head that none of these are like, I, and I know like um, screen junkies did a, like where they had like a doctor supposedly analyze this and like say what injuries would kill him that they both would have been killed at least once in the first movie. But in the second one, they really ramped it up with how often they would have been killed. But yeah, I mean, it, it, you see, it's like his traps are Marv stepping on broken glass and not a nail versus I'm going to electrocute him into a skeleton. No, he just like lights him on fire at the end of that movie. Yeah. 
Well, and in the third one, like, they really escalate in the third one. Like, the kid's cutting holes in the floor of, like, the, like, they're, they're doing, like, an addition onto the house. He's, like, cutting the holes into the floor. And, like, he, like, somehow is able to get an old-fashioned um, lawnmower, like, the old, like, push blade one that, like, activates and it, like, runs off and, like, cuts the guy up comedically. Like, it just shreds his clothes up instead of, like, you know, dicing him up. It's like, how the fuck is a kid doing that? The third one is is kind of weird to me because it feels like a movie that was trying to like ape Home Alone from that time period versus an actual like Home Alone film. It's almost weird that it is a Home Alone movie. Yeah, written by John Hughes, no less. Now, I love this. Like Daniel Stern said how terrified he was filming that because how they did that effect was they had the camera on a rig that was sliding down a track and it was on attached to a rope. And like, well, don't worry, it's attached to a rope. He's like, yeah, but if that rope breaks, you're going to drop like a 110-pound camera on my head. <laughs> and to get the effect of it, like, it needed to suddenly stop. So he's like, I'm, he's then worried, like, the track would break and all that. It's just like, poor Daniel Stern. And as we'll get up to in a second, when he steps on the... Uh, the glass ornaments though that's really his bare feet and he's stepping on sugar glass which you know albeit isn't real glass but that's still very painful to step on and he's like we're doing one take guys uh fritz lang reference <laughs> the highbrow yeah. oh god could you imagine peter laurie as well harry i could see or, that or, or marv you can see what peter laurie is uh is harry the, the, yeah harry I, I always get the two of them. So creepy, Harry. Oh, Kevin. I always, I always think of the Looney Tunes imitation of uh, Peter Lorre. Oh yeah. They, they always used to imitate him on that uh, on Looney Tunes. I just love Joe Pesci muttering, and you know, in reality, he would be swearing his fucking head off in this. Was and it I kid? love that they actually they actually made him have a swear jar on set. He filled it up in one day. Half of his salary went to the swear jar, allegedly. <laughs> I don't know that. Has, has Joe Pesci... All right, this is a random question. Has he ever worked with Shane Black? I no. I don't think so. Because wasn't that like Shane Black's thing with Iron Man 3 where Kevin Feige had to be like, you can't use the F word that many times in a PG-13 movie, Shane. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love it. Joe Pesci had a similar issue with Home Alone. He was swearing around the kids and everything. <laughs> well, that, that was the thing. They didn't want him swearing in front of Macaulay Culkin that much. Well, as a kid, I remember when he was muttering under his breath, I was trying to figure out what swear words he was saying, but he's just making them up. And it's yeah, funnier yeah. like that. Frickin' frackin' frickin' frackin'. Frickin' frackin'. Well, it's funny because the, there are two curse words in the movie, at least. Um, Marv says shit. Um, when he like his like drops his shoe through the like doggy door earlier on and you know buzz says if you were growing on my ass at the beginning of the movie so it's very funny the guy who's known for swearing a lot in his movies is the one who doesn't get to swear in this movie hey i'm coming <laughs> they cleaned it up in the next movie it's a lot cleaner they added donald trump but other than that it's a lot cleaner yeah and there's more violence <laughs> do you guys think in um in 2022 when we do the 30th anniversary for home alone 2 that trump will still be relevant yes i'm gonna uh, that's my answer so chris columbus said this was like his least favorite trap because it was the softest one 
And I guess I kind of understand that, but to me, again, it's like something a kid would come up with. Like he would think yeah. it, it's funny. It's the way it requires the least amount of work. The wait, the feathers or the the ornaments? The, the feathers. Oh, that's fair. I thought you meant the ornaments. I was like, oh. that's you know, it's when Kevin was running out of time. He's like, ah, maybe I'll come through the window. I'll just put the ornaments on the ground. <laughs> and it's <laughs> it's like one of the most painful looking ones. Though. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why not you dress like a chicken? I I just love the little effect of like the iron brand on his face for the rest of the movie. <laughs> it's something as a little kid I didn't get or didn't notice, but I love it. Okay, so he did bring up the carpet. I I, I thought because you see the carpet fold up, I thought he folded the carpet back down. I was like, that's not how that would work. See, I, I what I what I'm noticing now is not, I haven't watched this movie in years, but um. They're all following into like Kevin's traps into like what what he wants them to do because Kevin wants to escape out the the back window. That's ultimately what his goal is. But he he needs to lure them first for them to fall into the traps. Yeah. So so there's like an underlying logic behind all of it, which I never really noticed before. Yeah. Um, I also love you know we pass obviously the famous paint can um, trap, which yeah, it's funny how iconic that became for these the series that that's literally like five seconds and we're done. Um, but initially, they wanted to have both Harry and Mark horrified when it came down. But Daniel Stern said, no, I want to have a stupid smile on my face <laughs> for a split second beforehand. Like, that, like, he, for some reason, has become dumb, dumbingly, mind-numbingly calm, even though two seconds before he was angry. And it's the funniest thing ever. Just, like, go back and rewatch it. Daniel Stern's dumb smile. It's great. And this is great, though, when you say there's a, a logic that he didn't plan for um, Daniel Stern to trip over, and not to trip over, to jump in, that he, he's only saved because of the spider, that that clearly was a fuck-up in his plan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and again, poor Daniel Stern had a real tarantula on his face, and they're like, well, don't actually scream because it could kill, it could bite you and poison you. And, and they're like, but don't worry, it probably won't bite you, so he... He's like, we're doing one take of this, and I'm miming the screaming, and you're going to dub it in later. So he didn't really scream there, then? Yeah, he, he just mimed, he went, and then, like, they dubbed it in. But he's like, he's like and he didn't even want to do that more than once, because they're like, oh, yeah, I mean, we have anti-venom um, at the hospital that you'll be fine if you get bit, but we'd prefer you not to get bit. And he's like, can we not do it? <laughs> it's a good thing this thing held. Otherwise, the movie would have been over. He just crashes to the ground. <laughs> I'd love to see the two of them in a movie again. They just... Joe Pesci would barely get in the front door. Daniel Stern would have to push Joe Pesci in a wheelchair. It's like the end of The Irishman. Oh, God. <laughs> I think at this point we should also talk about Joe Pesci's rap career. Wait, hold on. What about as well as this? Actually, this probably went better. I will not comment on it unless I've listened to the whole album from start to finish. <laughs> All right, well, just giving you context, after um, My Cousin Vinny, Joe Pesci made a rap album, and 
people, please check it out. It's truly great. I want there to be a sequel. Keep buying it on iTunes and Spotify, guys. Just do it. Give Pesci a little bit more money. For a treehouse! <laughs> that Pesci's slightly smarter than him. Not by much, but by a little. That's that's high up, man. That's that's gotta be over twenty feet. Yeah, I mean they're in the third floor of the house. <laughs> and then the second one when they're climbing they're climbing, uh, what are they climbing? Down the rope or up the yeah, rope? Down the, yeah, down the rope. And Marv is like, um, he's just crying. <laughs> but like, he's like, is that your aftershave? He's like, no, that's kerosene. I love how, like, Marv is so stupid. He mistakes kerosene for Slapstick in this holds up. Oh, it's so great. Well. See, if this was Home Alone 2, like a hundred bricks would have fallen on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and that's at the end, like all the paint buckets then fall down when they do land. You're, you're not that far off from what they actually did. The one that always got me the most in the second one was that huge iron bar that Kevin threw. That like, I thought, uh, I thought that I thought that was a very funny, like you know, because and they even make fun of it on the commentary when they talk about how John Hughes wrote this in forty-eight hours. That's like imagine how quickly it took him to write the second one. But it's like I do like the little bit of logic that they do point out. It's like this is all very similar. That they're now like, oh, paint cans are going to come down. They mine through one, mine through two, and then Kevin's still smart enough to throw one more thing down at them. Now I'm just. Now he's like in the second one, how, like, when they're throwing the bricks at the beginning, that Marv is the only one that gets hit by them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you want to throw bricks? Come on. Throw bricks. He's like, he keeps giving it. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then the fact that Pesci's taunting him is great. He's like, oh, come on. <laughs> Harry. Harry. Yeah, I love for some reason the elderly guy couldn't do this. So watch in a second when he smacks him on the back of the head with the shovel. It's like it's very clearly like a guy in his 20s in a bad wig. He's <laughs> a bad wig and like an Abe Lincoln beard. Yeah, then you see old man Marley pulls out like an old pistol from World War II and just shoots the two of them dead. We're going to play a game I like to play on Christmas Eve. It's called the Russian Roulette. See, I was going to kill myself this year because I was alone. Maybe I won't go down by myself. <laughs> They'll be back as the Sticky Bandits. The way you phrase that's like how the James Bond movies used to end with James Bond will return in the gold finger. <laughs> the wet bandits will return in Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Uh, 
I can't. What, what name is more suggestive, the wet bandits or the sticky bandits? <laughs> wet. I think wet bandits. Like, don't worry, guys. You'll get a lot more Home Alone jokes in two years. I do love the second movie. I mean, I know it's just a rehash of this, and it's it's it's, it's not well great, but it's rehash. a lot of fun. It's a well done rehash. That's that's what I'll say about it. That it could have been a cheap cash in, like we saw the parts three through five of Home Alone, or any of the ripoffs. But at least there was still talent behind it. You still had a talented writer, talented director, and talented actors doing it. Another thing, real quick, um, we haven't talked about is the soundtrack. Unless we talked about it, and my internet just stopped working, and we didn't—I didn't hear that. But fantastic John Williams soundtrack. So how you doing, Jake? What do you say, Jacob? Well, I was saying something, but now I'm going to bring something else up because we're on the scene. For some reason, I. My Mandela effect thing with this movie is I always thought the scene was like a deep emotional moment between the two where they had like a serious talk about like their kids and trying to be good parents. And then we rewatched it once and then I realized, oh no, it's just like a joke. Like they start and it never happens. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's what the, um, I think that was why they did it like this is because initially there was supposed to be the end scene of like him saying goodbye. That was supposed to be a little bit more emotional, but you're right. It is a little weird that it's like, this is a completely a joke. A good joke, but a joke. But what I was saying before, I was trying to talk about the soundtrack during that, that silent little moment that we had there. Um, fantastic john williams soundtrack and i think the song from this got an oscar or was it a nomination i think nomination yeah um it's like unusual because even back then like john williams i mean you know enormous heavyweight composer and it's i apparently it like started as like a joke like oh let's get john williams to compose this and he like saw like a rough cut i think and just was like yeah i like this i'll compose the, the music for this he called it charming. I was yeah. charmed by the picture. Now the soundtrack is great, and um, a couple Christmases ago, my sister actually got me it. Um, they did a, some company did a um, release of it on vinyl. It was like a two record set. It's like really nice. It's um, translucent red and green records, and like the record sleeve looks like the McAllister House, and it's got like in the windows you can um, have like the effect of the like mannequins and all that, and it's, it's a great soundtrack. Hmm. I, I'm willing to say probably the greatest Christmas movie soundtrack. I can't think of, you know, I love It's a Wonderful Life and Christmas Vacation and all that, but I still say this is better than those. I just think if he didn't score this, maybe he wouldn't have done Harry Potter because of the relationship they him and Columbus Ooh. had on these two movies. I thought you were going to say if he didn't do this, he wouldn't have gotten Schindler's List. Like Spielberg wasn't going to trust him again. Yeah, it's just that thing. It's just kind of luck. Because I think they yeah. wanted somebody else or something. But like you said, Jacob, they just showed him this. Yeah. And then he said uh, yes. According to the movies that made us on Netflix, that's how it happened. Hmm. There you go. Yeah, Catherine O'Hara, too. I, I We haven't really talked about her, but she's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> I guess that would be an important thing to bring up. Yeah, we didn't mention that, but yeah, she's she's very funny. We've, we talked how much about the actor that plays uh, Old Man Marley, but Catherine O'Hara, you know, big part of it. <laughs> Well, no, they do. They do a very good job because I think a lesser actress and lesser filmmakers could have done this. Is they would have made her completely unlikable, but you can tell she's a good mom. Normally, that she was just frazzled with the holidays and like the whole fight that she was getting a little snippy with him. And you know, it's she, all of her scenes, like especially that scene in the airport where she's in the cellar, sold to the devil, um, and then Elvis is there for some reason. It's very well acted. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, you really believe her as a mother who really loves her son. I also think she's just really funny with her, like, intentionally over-the-top reaction faces to losing Kevin and stuff like that. Yeah, in the second movie, it's great. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, John, John Hurt as well. I mean, the, they didn't, he doesn't get nearly as much to do as Catherine O'Hara, but um, he was great, too. I mean, so. Well, I love him in the second movie when they realize they, they overslept again, and they, they both look at the camera and go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> Well, I love when they're like, we did it again. Yeah. <laughs> I love when they, they're with the cops and they're like, funny enough, we never lose our luggage though. And then they laugh from the top and knock on wood. <laughs> like they're just slowly just being driven insane by this. So I guess originally the movie was going to end here when they asked what he, he was doing. And he says, oh, just hanging around. And then it was going to freeze frame on Kevin's face. <laughs> Which is very 80s way to end a, a movie like this. Was it, was it going to cut to like a Simple Mind song or something like that? Like, <laughs> so no. That's how they ended it at Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So hey, why not another John Hughes um, holiday movie end like that? Yeah, but instead they smartly ended it with uh, with Morley. Morley. Is it going to cut to Saint Elmo's Fire or something like that? <laughs> Sorry, John Williams. We're going to let John Parr take over this part of the soundtrack. <laughs> Yeah, right here. Uh, yeah, I see. They had nothing for the rest of them to do, so like, just leave, just leave. Uh, but yeah, so we see that there were five of them total, so I think I'd have to go back and count them. I think that means of all the kids we see at the beginning, the only two that aren't theirs are Fuller's and then the um, black-haired oldest one. So Home Alone 4, they're down to just a three-kid family, I suppose. Oh. Here's the oh. one little hint. Kevin also had to clean the blood off the floor. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine him getting the tar off the stairs and all that. I can I can imagine everything else except the tar. I just imagine the cleanup, just the bleach. <laughs> Kevin doesn't know how to use bleach, so he's got he gets knocked out a couple times trying to wipe off the blood. But then it, it's it bleaches the <laughs> the wood. <laughs> it's like Kevin, what the fuck happens? They go into the kitchen. Why are there scorch marks on the wall? I smell burnt flesh. Uh, no one touched the doorknob for the next day or two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this... flesh burnt on the doorknob? Yeah, so this this was added, <laughs> which is a very smart decision because it's very hard. Like, it brings it all together, this scene. Yes, like, it does. Hard to imagine the movie without it. Mm -hmm. And then the reaction that made a thousand gifts. That's that's what sets this apart from like the imitators, you know. Yeah. It's the imitators end with the kid winking at the camera, making a joke after outsmarting the dumb adults. This one ends with this very touching moment, and then a joke, but still. So yeah, so well, we hope you enjoyed. 
um, our commentary track for Home Alone 2020, even though it's been a dumpster fire of a year. Um, for the rest of the world, I think, has been a pretty good year for us and the channel and our show in general. So we're all um, glad to have you new fans aboard and hope to keep you guys with us for 2021 and beyond. Hopefully for another 20 years. Yes. Which means 20 years from now, we'll all be dead. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Next year, Bionicle 2. What? <laughs>